My name is Jake. I wanted to tell you, make this message, because if anything happens to me and any of my friends, somebody needs to know what's going on. I can't tell you where I live or my last name. You just have to trust me that what I'm talking about is real. This is a real place, a real town. It may even be your town. Welcome to Thought Speak, a podcast dedicated to the weekly discussion of Kay Applegate's 1996 book series, Animorphs. My name is Coleman. And my name is Mitchell. Still Mitchell, eh? Still. Did you think it would change with my wedding? I thought it would morph. Oh, it didn't. <laughs> so wedding, you, you brought that up pretty slowly right there in the first 10 seconds of the podcast. I wanted to make sure that at least one of my first 10 words was wedding. So mission accomplished. I was just going for morph. Animorph would have also been fine. Morph wedding. I should have had an Animorphs themed wedding. I would have still gone. <laughs> you would have still been the best man. Possibly the best gorilla. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, uh, I think that's good that you brought that up. Because as people may have heard, if they listen to Animorphs, Thought Speak, number three, The Encounter. Which I assume no one did. Yeah, it's just, they just jumped straight to four. <laughs> All those ravenous Cassie fans went straight to this episode. So yeah, yeah, that, that was why... We did not have an episode last week. It saddened me to do that. Uh, to leave you in the dark, listeners. Me? Oh, but... listeners, yeah. <laughs> yeah, listeners. <laughs> you didn't leave me in the dark. We had to. I traveled up to the great north, the great white north, Minnesota. Minnesota. It's so great, and it's so white right now. Oh, and I learned you say Minnesota, not with a T, with a D. Minnesota. Yeah, it's not... It's not like we try or anything, but it, it's just kind of how it comes out when you're talking really fast. It's just it's Minnesota. Oh, I know. I, I perfected my Minnesotan accent while I was up there. I assume it's kind of similar to like a Jersey accent where you just kind of soften up a couple letters unknowingly. I don't know if it's because I'm from a uh, wooded rural state as well. But I think Minnesota's accent has a little bit more class to it than uh, New Jersey. Wait a minute. Can I, can I say something? If... Uh... If any of uh, our listeners are from Minnesota, man, sound off. Let me know. I want to hear it. I want to hear where you're at. <laughs> yeah, Minnesota Wild for the 2014 Stanley Cup. Uh, is is that what is that like soccer? What I don't. <laughs> <laughs> you just lost all our Minnesotan fans. <laughs> uh, no, they're good people. They'll know. They'll know that I don't know anything about sports. <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah, I made the trip up to Minnesota. And uh, we we celebrated Mitch's union to the woman that was in the room, you know, five minutes ago. Uh, my wife. Yeah, not 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 some unknown woman <laughs> running through the room here. <laughs> yeah, we had a good time. We went to the Mall of America. We uh, danced a little bit. We uh, rode some snowmobiles, went ice fishing on the lake. We didn't do those things, but we could Did you... Uh, did you post the picture of us shoveling snow onto the website? No, maybe I should. I don't know. Maybe if uh, some some Minnesota peeps speak up, really want to hear our uh, or see our snow shoveling pictures, uh, they're they're pretty terrific. <laughs> we'll put a link in the show notes. How about that? 
we'll put a link in the show notes to uh to the Minnesotan wild northern snowy shoveling thing that we did. I'm gonna tweet it. No, I I control the Twitter. Yeah, I know. So please tweet it. <laughs> uh, okay, so yeah, that's what we did. Had a great time. Best wedding I've ever been to. So that that was that was actually the reason for the delays for the previous episode, which is yeah. uh, something to to point out there. And we actually discussed uh, something a little quicker than recording and editing a normal episode. We talked about possibly recording a commentary track. To go along with the first episode of the Animorphs TV show. So we thought we'd be able to maybe pop that off and do it. And I think we could have, but we were really busy with the wedding. So we did, we weren't able to. Yeah, we had a bit more to to do what with the whole marriage process than I was anticipating. As the best man, I was putting out fires left and right. And I'm talking literal fires. This was a very flammable wedding. Well, you know, you did your best. You did the best you could. And uh, I guess I shouldn't have started all those fires, but. <laughs> uh, you, you have to pay back the venue, so. Tell you. <laughs> um, so, but yeah, if you would like that in the future, if you guys think that's a good idea to do like a Mystery Science Theater 3000 style commentary track to the Animorphs TV show, uh, those could be very well be uh bonus episodes in the future just let us know i don't know if i want to do like a like a riff tracks kind of thing or if we should just straight up review the show episodes i would rather do riff tracks a because i think that would be a little funnier that'd be more enjoyable uh, and different from the normal podcast and it would also be something that we could just watch the show do a commentary track it wouldn't need editing wouldn't need anything we just pop it off throw it on the site and people could enjoy it yeah, yeah, that that's definitely one way to go. Um, and, you know, we had discussed reviewing every episode of the show, um, possibly after finishing this podcast, or we had discussed reviewing the TV show episodes uh, when we didn't have time to do a full book review. Um, but honestly, I I think I could just sum up the entirety of the TV show in just one word, which is bad. <laughs> <laughs> I think there are elements of the TV show that are interesting. It's still pretty bad, but uh, I think Sean Ashmore and a couple of the other actors really did do a good job in aspects of it, so it might be worth discussing. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it was it was well-casted at the very least, but I don't know. Uh, to review or not to review? That is the question that our listeners can answer. Yeah, a question that we don't need to answer. Listeners, tell us. Don't tell us. We'll do something. Well, they have to tell us. They can't not tell us, or we won't. If they don't tell us, that's them telling us. They oh that they that they (laughs) that they don't want us to do it. (laughs) Possibly, they'll they'll have to not tell us. (laughs) I'm confused at the whole process, but I'm excited to talk about book four, like I always am. Yeah, you're, you're always really excited before we read these things. I assume you're just pissing yourself with excitement. Well, I, I do kind of have to pee now, but I'll hold it. I'll hold it. Even though uh, okay. uh, the cover of book four over here I'm staring at has got this lovely water scene on it. <laughs> well, do you want to jump right in? You want to uh, get into our review slash summary slash discussion? Yeah. No time like the present. Go! Okay, yeah. Yeah, let's, let's jump into it. Stop! 
bodies were now hosts harboring an alien form of life, a cosmic form, which to survive must take over every human man. So I ran, I ran. They're after you! They're after all of us! Our wives, our children, everyone! They're here already! You're next! You're next! You're next! You're next! You're next! So today we're talking about Animorphs book number four, The Message. This is a Cassie book, and the cover features Cassie turning into a dolphin. Do we say turning into, or do we say morphing? Both will work. It all started with the dreams, but Cassie didn't pay much attention to them. She and her friends had all been having weird dreams ever since they'd first learned to morph. Maybe it was just some crazy side effect. That's when Cassie discovers that Tobias has been having the exact same dreams. Dreams about the ocean, and a strange feeling that someone is calling to them. Calling for help. Now Cassie, Tobias, Jake, Rachel, and Marco have to figure out if the dreams are a message or a trap. And if it is a trap, it could be the end for everyone. Animorphs. That's a good summary. You know, I don't know what the reprint says. I didn't grab it this time, but I'm sure it was a modernized version of that. Yeah, probably. And if anybody has any of these reprints as we're as we're going up to book eight, I believe... Um, feel free to email us any differences that you found between the reprints and the original prints. Yeah, I'd say that could be like an interesting segment of the show, but they stopped making the reprints, so. Yeah. Well. Thanks, Scholastic. You ruined our podcast. <laughs> Thanks, Obama. <laughs> Examplegate. So, this is a Cassie book to start us out with, our first foray into the mind of cassie and listeners we have made a lot of jokes at cassie's expense i would say i've made the majority of the jokes at cassie's expense it's she's an easy target no i i think uh i don't actually think that cassie's a bad character i think she's an essential anamorph and probably a really close representation of the author's actual mindset i think she was who she based herself off of the most so I don't think Cass is a bad character at all, and we're we're both equally willing to give this book a full Animorphs go. Like all the other Animorphs books, this one starts out with, uh, of course, the recap. And uh, in this particular recap, we have Cassie, who uh, starts us out in her barn with a little plot exposition and, and stuff. And um, Cassie is in her barn to morph a squirrel. For a very specific reason, and that reason is, Coleman? Something has been getting in and killing all the animals. That's a little dramatic. Something's been killing the smaller animals, and she doesn't know what. Probably thinks it's like a fox, or or fox, or we're about to find out it's totally a fox. Fox McCloud. Gotcha. So, <laughs> Cassie's, morphing, uh, Cassie's morphing the squirrel, and, uh, you know, just like the other prey animals, squirrels are kind of nuts. Wow, squirrel pun. Wow. Yeah, so she's on the ground. She's flittering around. Flittering? That's a good word. Flittering around. Flitting? Uh, flitting? Flittering? They're both applicable, probably. Yeah, but flitting is a Cirque de Freak reference. They, oh, yet another series we're going to drop a reference of and maybe do a podcast about it later? Let's do it! Okay, anyway, so um, Cassie's morphing the squirrel to find her fox thief. And uh, loses herself a little bit to the instincts. We've seen that before. 
Um, however, this time, uh, we actually have a bird of prey show up and uh, try to eat her. But luckily for her, turns out to be her best buddy, best hawk buddy, I should say, Tobias. Yeah, and before that, though, right before, I did have my first note of the book that I wrote down uh, talking about when Cassie is about to morph the squirrel, she specifically talks about how she always tries to beforehand feel what it might be like to be that animal. And I think this is the key, as we mentioned in an earlier podcast, I think this is the key to uh, why Cassie is considered a better morpher. I don't think anyone else is, I don't think Marco is really giving a crap about what he's about to turn into. He's just like, oh yeah, go gorilla, morph. <laughs> I I guess that could be. Most of the uh, other kids, I assume, don't have the mind for, you know, animals like Cassie does. Yeah, Cassie, she straight up empathizes with the animal she's about to morph with. And that's that's got to be uh, what really pushes her out ahead in the morphing ability uh, stats. Yeah, well, and uh, Tobias showing up is, is basically just uh, to bring us this little bit of information to get these two characters together because they have something, as it turns out, in common. Tobias mentions he's been having a lot of strange dreams about the sea lately. And as it just so happens, uh, Cassie has two. That's why she's awake. She couldn't sleep. Oh, I thought she was just specifically out there for some squirrel action. Yeah, that was part of it. But she says also that, you know, she's been having these dreams lately. Anyway, the book moves on to uh, the team having another little group meeting at Rachel's house. And um, they they just basically talk about dreams and Cassie doesn't quite tell everyone what she's been up to just yet, but they do do a little bit of talking. Marco drops a nice Mr. Rogers neighborhood reference. And a uh, um, Baywatch reference, which, uh, do you think they changed those in the reprints? I don't know, but reprint readers, please let us know. That would be terrible if he changed, I mean, Marco joking about Baywatch is, that's an essential part of his character to me. What if in the uh, what if in the reprints they they changed every reference of uh, Marcos to Letterman? What if they changed it to like Leno? Wouldn't that just be crazy? Oh man, what if they changed it to like Conan? That would be so much better. That would be. I would love that. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, yeah. So while they're meeting in Rachel's room, talking about their dreams, how it might affect the group, if there's possibly a mission in there somewhere, uh, Cassie looks around the room, her best friend's room, and she notices some quotes on the wall. I just wanted to bring up the fact that she makes she makes a point to talk about how Rachel used to have these kind of cutesy sayings on this uh, pin board on her wall that would say, like, you know, hang in there, or be strong, or how to be a good person. And now they're all, like, war references and s- quotes from Sun Tzu. And that's just great. Rachel is... That's why Rachel's one of the best characters. She is already way into this. Yeah, we get a lot of uh, a lot of background information, a lot of just character information, stuff like that. Um, I think she even mentions, you know, Jake is yay high and this color hair and super cute, and I like him. Yeah, she. Yeah, this is where she flat out says, like she's like the, she hints at it in the first book, or at least Jake does. And this one, she's gung-ho telling the audience, oh, I'm totally into Jake. Marco's cute, but he's not my type. Yeah, oh, poor Marco. Everybody says Marco's cute, and no one goes after him. (laughs) (laughs) Not yet, anyway. Anyway, uh, 
that leads to Jake, uh, who masterminded this meeting and this plot, I assume. He he brings a news clip, I assume VHS style, uh, of a guy, an old an old man, finding a piece of andalite wreckage on the beach. Yeah, well, I guess nobody knows it's andalite wreckage, but um, Jake knows. Jake mentions very specifically that while he was in uh, Elfangor's spaceship in the first book, uh, he noticed a lot of the writing, and and he thinks the symbols match up. So. They've got pretty good reason to suspect that this is Andalite ship wreckage. Yeah, and then Cassie and Tobias pass out. Yeah, um, instant coma here <laughs> for some reason. And uh, Cassie wakes up and Tobias also wakes up. He goes a little hawk mode for a second and everyone's kind of worried, but he snaps too. And uh, <laughs> It's a good thing that uh, Tobias wasn't trapped in like a, uh, like a tiger morph or something. He probably would have killed them all right there. <laughs> The team awakens and uh, reveals that they, of course, had some more dreams about the sea. Yeah, this is just where they had probably their strongest vision because it affected them while they're awake. And everybody else kind of says, oh, I felt something too. Tobias even specifically says it's it's like a distress call from somewhere out in the sea. And, you know, that's enough to convince them that uh, it's an Andalite somewhere in distress. And... The consensus between the entire group is that uh, they should at least investigate this further. The group goes to the beach at night. I don't know why at night. Oh, because they thought, I guess, that no one else would be there. That was their their reason for going at night, I suppose. Probably and, don't uh, want to. Probably don't want to bring attention to themselves as a group. Mm, yeah, that's true. But <laughs> as it turns out, nothing's going on there, and. Um, they, they start, I guess, to discuss and wonder why Tobias and Cassie are the only ones to have the dreams. And um, I, I think they they figure out quite quickly that, you know, it's maybe because Tobias is, is stuck in Morph and because Cassie is the most skilled Morpher of the group. So as they're walking down the beach discussing various things and talking about how Tobias is never happy, period, um, they run across... A, a bunch of controllers out on the beach. These are seen by Tobias, who warns them that they're up ahead, and he he identifies them as controllers based on them talking about the sharing. And they got to get out of there. Yeah, the sharing comes after them, guns ablazing. Literally, this is the first. Uh, it's the first time. It's kind of it's kind of interesting because most sci-fi series that are kind of geared towards younger kids, they use lasers and things because it's a little nicer. I think it's. It's a little safer to say that somebody was shot with a laser beam, even if they're like disintegrated. It's not that bad. But K. Applegate's like, no, we're bringing we're bringing in real guns too. And they start firing with the sharing members shooting at them with guns. The team has basically no no escape plan other than to run into the ocean and morph the only water morph that they have at the moment, which is a trout. And uh, as Cassie points out. Uh, trout are freshwater fish, so this is not going to be a fun morph for any of them. And as soon as they are trout, uh, they they are constantly pointing out that it feels like they're burning and suffocating, and all they can do is swim down the beach until they're uh, about as far away as they think they are to safety. And uh, that's how they managed to get out of that scrape. And I like them using the, tr- uh, the trout morph. 
because there's little things like this throughout the whole series and they get stronger and more intricate later on but uh it seems like K.A. Applegate finds a way to reference the old books and make it really feel like one big continuity she does she does that pretty well I agree yeah so so the Animorphs don't meet up for a couple of days they have various things going on Jake's flunking out of school uh Rachel's mom is getting best lawyer of the year award <laughs> um, <laughs> like literally that's what it says um and after they do it's it's a moment of jake heading to cassie's house showing up and she's not ready for him she's all mucking about in the horse poop and probably from herself in horse morph <laughs> yeah <laughs> i didn't even think about that but that's completely possible <laughs> she's like like 45 minutes before jake showed up cassie was just running around her her farm and horse morph like you know she likes to do <laughs> probably cop, probably dropped a couple of steamers so after she tricks jake into helping her clean up after herself <laughs> uh he reveals that he's there because everyone's waiting on her to make a decision about her dreams which confuses her because both her and tobias and almost them are having these dreams but they really pin it on her because Tobias isn't going to be much help if they're doing anything ocean-related. Yeah. <clears throat> they talk water morphs a little bit and uh, what they could possibly use in, in the ocean depths. And uh, after going down their their list of possible water morphs, dolphins are brought up. But uh, Cassie mentions she has a couple reservations about morphing dolphin. And uh, at this point, Jake is just kind of like, well, whatever, you know, you decide and... We'll figure it out later. And he uh, leaves her there. Leaves her standing in her own filth. <laughs> <laughs> so the next scene is them all heading to the gardens, which I'm not entirely sure. The book didn't say it, but I'm pretty sure once again, they all paid to get in, which even later in this book, they're smart enough not to do. I yeah. still don't understand this. And uh, there was something I wanted to mention. Again, reprint readers, please tell us. Cassie mentioned specifically that on the bus, she listens to her Walkman. And if if anybody... iPod. If anybody who uh, wasn't around in the 90s, uh, this, this reference is probably lost on a, a lot of younger readers nowadays. But um, any reprint readers, please tell us, did they change the Walkman reference? Is it iPod? Is it MP3 player? We, we must know. Is it a Zoom? Probably a not. <laughs> yeah, so Cassie gives us a little bit of uh, information, a little background information about Marco and why he's he's not too fond of the sea, and that's uh, because his his mother drowned and died. Just while she's while she's thinking in her head this this background information about Marco, telling us the reader, the next piece of dialogue is from her, and it's just a little nice compliment. She tells him, you know. Did you get a haircut? It looks really nice. And he uh, he's kind of taken aback or a little surprised by that. But, you know, it's just, it's just who Cassie is. She's just kind of a nice girl. <laughs> so after the bus scene uh, that was heartwarming to all of us and all of you, I'm sure, <laughs> uh, we head into the gardens. And this was my little tiny little favorite scene of the book where we have a very real life conversation between the Animorphs about Jake starts it off with talking about the roller coaster and how that used to be awesome. But now he can turn into a hawk and move like 200 miles an hour without any, any rails or protection equipment. 
and it leads to a nice little scene of them all talking about how being an animorph has now affected their lives just in general their perception how they do things uh Rachel her gymnastics, Marco and his working out. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we're only on book four. Imagine yeah, how much change they still have yet to go through. I I love these little scenes. These are great. These are this is these are what I think differentiate this from I don't know the Babysitters Club or whatever <laughs> other series are similar to this. I don't know our next podcast series. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do the Hardy Boys. It'll be awesome. <laughs> Um, yeah, and so it's at this point when the uh, book turns into another National Geographic on dolphins, and everyone just proceeds to geek the hell out about <laughs> dolphins. <laughs> yeah, and the dolphins, uh, a nice Friends reference. The dolphins are all named after uh, the Friends from the show Friends. Yes, and I will admit, uh, first time reading this book, went right over my head. <laughs> oh, yeah, I had no idea. And then, I don't know, at some point I remembered it. It wasn't this this time reading but sometime back in the day i had already seen the show and i got it but i guess i bet Kay applicant is just a big friends fan she didn't think kids would pick up on it could be or it could be that they uh needed six (laughs) dolphin names why not the friends yeah but everybody acquires a dolphin even cassie who's dragging her feet not (laughs) not uh wanting to morph dolphin at this point yeah we touch on the first part of a long-running theme throughout this book specifically cassie kind of wondering ethically about morphing something that is considered almost sentient she had no problem with uh letting marco morph gorilla though even though gorillas are like genetically you know our cousins and all that well i mean it's like we, we would be closer to chimps G- gorillas are pretty different from chimps still primate family i don't know I think if she's worrying at this point about ethics and morality, um, you might as well just include primates in that in that uh, equation. Yeah, I mean, she's she didn't have a problem with Marco, or maybe she did have a problem. She we let him we straight to the cage and was like, "Here you go. <laughs> I'm not gonna morph this dumb ape." Oh, what can I say? Cassie's a hypocrite. We cut to Cassie having another dream, and uh, she specifically mentions it's. Seems like it's getting a little bit weaker. We can assume that either he's hurt or something's happening to him uh, that, that is getting weaker. And it kind of gives her the motivation to push forward and tell them, yes, we need to we need to go on this mission. Time's running out. And the group meets up at the river to try out their dolphin morphs. Cassie specifically goes first. It's a little different being on this side of the Cassie mindset of... Uh, of them wanting her to try out a morph because she's just in her mind. She's like, "Oh, you guys are you guys are all good at morphing, right?" Oh, and I'd like to point out that Tobias is uh, finally he's he's given a little task to you know keep him relevant to the to the plot and to the team. <laughs> uh, they outfitted him with a, a small watch, and he is going to be their official timekeeper tracker of her. <laughs> so Tobias is going to be the watchkeeper, which they've needed. They, you know, they, they don't have any way to keep track of time themselves when they're morphing dolphins. And Cassie's already full-flung, morphing the dolphin in the river, ready to go. And they're all just wary, waiting out. What's going to happen? There's going to be prey instincts. There's going to be something completely different because they haven't done any kind of sea creature like this before. And what does it evolve into? Cassie just wanting them to all come play with her in the water as a dolphin. I guess uh, dolphins are really into playing. Who'd have thunk it? Yeah, well, they frolic all the way down to the ocean. 
uh, from the riverbeds. Yeah, and as Tobias points out, they waste 45 minutes just swimming around playing. Yeah, kind of like the cat morph in book two, The Visitor, where it's not a bad instinct. It's just something that might distract you or get in the way of a mission. <clears throat> yeah, so after Tobias points out that they've wasted 45 minutes already, the team decides to uh, try to find the Andalite ship by using echolocation. And they're not really sure how it works, but, you know, animal instincts. Yeah, they, they just start firing them off and discovering what, the, what they can see through this new sense or whatever you want to call it <laughs> turns out what they can see is a swarm of sharks attacking a great one. Oh, sorry 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 whale yeah the sharks <laughs> are attacking a whale and uh cassie right away decides to jump on in and try and save the whale so uh everyone is pretty much flung into this conflict and everybody everybody attacks a shark and cassie is lucky enough to actually damage a shark just enough to make it bleed uh, without that, they probably would have all died. Yeah, against Tobias's wishes, they get into this fight with sharks, and they do an okay job. I mean, they get a little scared realizing that, oh, wow, these are incredibly dangerous creatures, and we're not even to the mission yet. We're about to, you know, possibly get hurt or something. But but they scrape by, and they're, they're, feeling, they're feeling okay about saving this uh, humpback whale. They're feeling okay about it until uh, the sharks all swim off chasing the the one bleeding shark that cassie managed to wound and uh marco comes bobbing up in the water with part of his tail ripped off hey guys i think i'm hurt <laughs> yeah he's this this god this is really dark actually if you think about it i mean this is a kid this is the first of many incredibly detailed and gruesome injuries of the animals that they're morphed into yeah and the equivalent, of course, is Marco, kid Marco, human Marco, with half his torso ripped off. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's like half his tail is, like, hanging by a thread. His legs, um, his, his legs are coming off at the waist, how about? What? Oh, well, yeah, if you're going to, I didn't know you were equating it to his actual form. Yeah, that's basically what it is. I mean, it's, it's a kid who's seriously mortally wounded. I mean, he would die if not for the fact that he is... Barely able to morph back in time to save his life. If it wasn't dark enough, just this horrible injury to this person we've come to know, there's a line where where Kay Applegate has him talk about not wanting to die like his mother. What are you doing to us, Applegate? Oh, yeah, that's pretty crazy. That's some dark stuff. Yeah, so this is actually kind of a big scene because... This is where they discover that morphine will heal any wounds that you receive while in morph. <laughs> the only collateral damage is the nightmares that it'll induce afterwards. <laughs> many, many nightmares. Well, Marco is lucky enough to demorph in time, although he's got another problem. He can't swim, of course. But uh, luckily for him, the old hump humpback whale that they just saved gives him a little lift. And here is... Kind of one of the bigger problems that I have with this book. Are you talking about psychic whales? No, just just the fact that this whale, um, they're able to talk to the whale, and talking to animals, that's that's that would kind of be a game changer, really, for the rest of the series. And as far as I can tell, as far as I can remember, it's not really brought up anywhere else in the series, uh, save for one instance that I can think of, but that's a stupid instance, so I won't bring it up. 
we're not even talking about a game changer for the rest of the series. We're talking about a game changer for the scientific community of Earth. <laughs> right. Well, I just think that, you know, the kids as animals are not able to talk to other animals of the same species or of different species. I don't know why dolphins are, are talking to whales here. I don't think it was a matter of of this being something they could do, like they could go talk to Jake's dog if they wanted to. I think Kay Applegate was adding in a little more sci-fi into the series by saying that these cetaceans, these dolphins and whales, uh, have not necessarily abilities, but they have communication ability, or they have a way of communicating that we can't even conceive. You know, it's possible. We already know these animals are intelligent and more intelligent than most animals like them. And it's possible, you know, we didn't know about echolocation until we started picking it up on sonar and stuff. So maybe they do have a way of talking psychically to each other in very, very, very basic rudimentary language. I don't know what it is, but I don't like it. And I mean, this whale (laughs) is giving extremely complex, specific information. I mean, stuff that, you know, I don't even get talking to my wife. It's like... <laughs> he's, he's, the whale's telling him about you know his, his past life and his mates and all the battles he's seen and it's 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 just too much. I can't believe this. <laughs> this whale would also make a terrible anamorph. I guess so. Except we don't learn its we don't learn its last name. So yeah, or its real name. But moving on, uh, this whale gives Cassie a bunch of images and and feelings and and whatever it's doing and it gives them kind of a big hint to what they're looking for where this andalite might be and it definitely helps marco heal up and let him remorph uh so that they can head back to shore and and survive another day thanks convenient whale well (laughs) let's just say the whales are going to be deus ex machinas in this in this particular book that is true So the next day, Cassie goes to visit Marco at his home, which is cool. We get to see a little bit of uh, Marco's home life, uh, especially with his dad, who is, at this point in the series, not very impressive. Well, did you read the book? It's sad, because Marco's like, he has to tell his dad to put on a bathroom, because his dad just can't even put on clothes anymore. He's just, he's that depressed and lazy. Yeah, sucks to be his dad. Yeah, (laughs) sucks more to be Marco. Cassie comes to apologize, basically, for, for almost getting Marco killed and uh, kind of just, you know, for, for being a terrible freaking decision maker. <laughs> yeah, and Marco turns it around. He's not he's not so much, you know, oh, thanks, Cassie. I really appreciate it. He's like, no, I made the decision to go out there. I'm against this whole Animorphs thing in general, but I'm the one who went out there and got hurt and it was... It's not for you to apologize. You're taking that away from me by apologizing. Oh yeah, he gives he gives a great Batman-esque speech on on fear, and uh, you know he 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 basically admits he can't stop fighting just because he's scared, and uh, he needs to keep going. <laughs> yeah, he also drops uh, the next bit of exposition that's gonna move the plot along, um, talking about treasure hunters and how there's some. Uh, research that's going to be done out in the ocean coming up on this weekend and obviously that's the a your cover for them being able to search for this andalite ship that is out there somewhere yeah yeah a lot of buzz currently surrounding the ocean (laughs) yeah so meeting number two 
at Rachel's house, for those who are following along, uh, where they go over this mission they're about to jump right into. Yeah, and my only note was that it was quite funny. Marco does a lot of putting the situation they're currently in into light in a funny way, and I think this is one of the best ones. I actually wrote the entire thing down uh, just to read on the podcast because I think it's pretty funny. So Tobias makes a joke about how weird their lives have become, and Marco starts off and says, Weird, weird, Marco crowed. The talking bird wants to know if getting information from a whale that you've just saved from sharks by turning into dolphins, you're suggesting that's weird? <laughs> it's just, <laughs> it's right. He's, these little recaps that he does are, are hilarious, and that's one of the best ones. Uh, especially talking about the talking bird, Tobias. It's... After uh, figuring out kind of where they're they're going, where they're looking for, I don't know how they do this, but they, they map out their destination of where they think it might be, uh... And... Really based it on Cassie's images that the whale fed her. Yeah, which, how are you going to use maps to, it's it's a little far-fetched, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm going to say it. Yeah, as Marco said, it's it's a little weird. They, they have to, they figure out how far out to see they have to go to to get to where they're, they're going, and they devise this whole plan to um, morph seagulls to catch a ride on a ship of some sort that's that's going to take them out to sea a little bit further while they're where where they will be able to uh morph dolphin and uh not waste so much time traveling there and jumping into the mission they turn into seagulls that they acquired through cassie's bar and she always has some seagulls there because they're just stupid birds who are constantly hurting themselves oh uh, i wanted to point out that um after their meeting there's a uh, little moment where Jake and Cassie get to walk home together and they get their little little segment of romance. Uh, if if <laughs> if you don't count the manure shoveling from earlier. Yeah, they they use this book to put a stronger establishing base on their relationship. In Seagull Morph, it's really funny because the kids keep pointing out all the food that they're able to spot because seagull brains are so interested in food yeah yeah who knows who knows that's how they actually how they work but uh i'm sure that's all seagulls are are paying attention to as they're flying around crapping on people's heads yeah they gotta fill that stomach back up they fly to uh some pier i guess or or the beach or they go somewhere where ships are well they they go out they go out over the ocean uh, and and finally, after probably a little bit of flying, hit one of the shipping lanes, and they see tons of uh, these huge shipping freighters underneath them. Yeah, and they need to figure out how long they have to stay on the boat to reach their their destination. And it's just, it's more math than I can even repeat here. <laughs> what? It's twenty miles per hour. Now, don't try and repeat they it. Need to Nobody go wants to hear miles. math. They Nobody wants to hear need... math. This is not they a math cast. That Tobias to wait an hour. actually has to leave them because <laughs> he can't stay on the ship. I mean, he's a hawk. He can't he can't fly back from, <laughs> you know, several hours out at sea. So he he leaves them and the the team basically just has to pass time until the ship gets out far enough into the ocean for him. And uh it sucks. <laughs> yeah, Tobias bails and they just kind of sit around most of the time in seagull morph 
until they finally demorph and then try to figure out how they're going to get off this freighter. Yeah, and figuring out actually how to how to how to demorph and and sort of get over the railing and then remorph it's 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 a challenge that they actually have to spend a little bit of time thinking about how they're going to do it but uh everybody figures it out and of course they get over the edge of the ship and into the ocean and safely into dolphin morph and uh cassie pretty much starts leading the team right away and one of the first things they see underwater or i guess above water are the uh all the human controllers that are there as well yeah that that puts uh puts a little pressure on the situation they see the controllers they're already there they need to find this thing fairly quickly and they do oh yeah they don't it's it's maybe maybe the span of half a page in the book it's like oh no him and controllers we better hurry and then instantly it's like oh there's the dome ship (laughs) they find this underwater haven this half of a circled glass structure that houses grass and trees and a river they can see it all there. It looks strange, it's crazy, and it's right there on the ocean floor. And they get over to it pretty quick. They find an airlock, they get in. They manage to demorph. Yeah, they manage to demorph, and suddenly they're blacked out. Something has knocked them unconscious, quite conveniently. Yeah. <laughs> and when they wake up, they are face-to-face with their Andalite buddy. So they wake and see an Andalite. Hopefully, the Andalite they've been looking for, who is extremely on edge at these invaders to his ship. Yeah, he's a, he's a little bit wary at this point. He's ready to kill Marco, just because <laughs> he looked at him the wrong way. <laughs> yes, but the, the team is quick to explain the situation and tell him everything they know about Elfangor dying. And That's, um, what, that's what really does it. Telling El- Elfangor's story is so believable and specific and relevant to him that he turns over his trust to them pretty quickly. Yeah, he he chills right out and uh, explains to them how he ended up there. And uh, it's basically just because he he was the only Andalite not fit to fight in the war. Like them, he's a teenager. Yeah, and And they even pointed out that, oh, you're a kid like we are? Now, I was really proud of myself here in writing the notes without looking at the book. Uh, when he introduces himself, I wrote down his full name, Aximili Escaroth Estil. Boom. Correct spelling and everything. That's okay. That's so that's your pronunciation? Yeah. How would you pronounce it? I don't know. I've always been saying Aximili. Just because really? it, it kind of sounds like the word facsimile. Yeah. No, that's, uh, that's so totally I say Aximili Escaroth Estil. That's my pronunciation. Huh. We should get a giant pronouncer guy. Wait, now what going. did I say before? Aximili? Yeah, you said Aximili. And I said yeah, Aximili. Always... Yeah, I've always said Aximili. I don't know. Huh. Aximili Escaroth Isthil. Hmm. Well, we got the last two names the same. <laughs> yes. Worth two for three. Two out of three ain't bad, baby. <laughs> but he introduces himself immediately pledges his allegiance to Jake as his prince. Prince Jake! Best, best running joke throughout the series. Prince Jake. Don't call me that. <laughs> it's a good one. It's a good one. Actually, uh, 
I think one of the uh, things that really saved this book for me is the introduction of Axe. Yeah, even now in his most basic form, I'm sure I'm sure Kay Applegate knew she was heading towards ascending uh, with them having another person added to their team. But you get a lot of long-time Axe, you know, personality distinctions here in this first book. Yeah, she she sets him up uh, pretty well here, at least at the end. But uh, for right now, we have Axe just kind of taking him through his little dome ship and kind of explaining all of his Andalite stuff. He talks about the grass and all that because, you know, grass is really important to Andalites. Yeah, and how it interacts with the trees and how they have, like, a specific word. He's, like, Japanese or something. <laughs> yeah, kind of. He's very into the feng shui of things. <laughs> um, yeah. Also, really important here is that Axe gives some more information, some more backstory stuff on the Yurks and their eventual plans for Earth. And, oh, yeah. And um, kind of kind of tells them flat out, like, you know, the Yurks, they're not really in, they're not interested in, in saving, you know, planets. What they want are hosts. But the, the actual planet, uh, Earth, kind of, kind of screwed. Yeah, they, they aren't just Yurks and evil because they, you know, take over other people's bodies and force them to do their bidding. They're destroyer of worlds, is what the book says. They take the host's food sources, they preserve those, they turn everything else as close as possible into the Yurk homeworld. And that's what they're mostly known for. Yeah, so uh, in a perfect Yurk world, I guess Earth would probably resemble just flat land, everything destroyed in piles of rubble, uh, you know, no buildings or anything like that, just nothing but Yurk pools everywhere. Yeah, I think this is a good way to... This, this is twofold. This is... This is what makes this book actually pretty good in my mind is that we not only get Cassie's reason to fight, which this is her book. This is at the beginning of the series. Well, they're going to destroy books, the animals. Yeah. Each one of these books represents, you know, they're getting into the fight and being dedicated to it. This is Cassie's reason. Everything she loves in the world, animals, the earth, the forest, the plains, the oceans, it's all going to be gone. Even captain planet especially Captain Planet. Also, Heart, the little kid who had the heart ring, totally Marco. Uh, Looks exactly like him. That's who I picture when I think of Marco. Oh, <laughs> nice. But but anyway, and the second thing that this does really well is it, it completely makes the Yurks like the old cartoony villains, but somehow like really realistic at the same time. They're just doing this to you know, make the world like their world. That that totally makes sense as an alien invading alien species. But it's also like, oh, but the Earth is in danger. It's doing that classic villain role. So just dual-layered good writing. Way to go. Yeah. X also mentions uh, probably the, the most important piece of information to come out of this book, that the, uh, the, the remaining Andalites that are... Uh, going to be coming to help earth probably not going to be arriving for a good two years and that's going to be problematic for everybody <laughs> um so it's time for the the team to pack out pack up and and move on out because the uh <laughs> the controllers have have uh started to invade they've started dropping depth charges on the uh dome uh yeah 
So it's time to go. Uh, and Axe tells everyone that he has uh, managed to acquire an earth animal that he, he, he saw one day as he was waiting, hanging out, and uh, he thought it might be of use. I know it's I know it's a little spoilery for the rest of the series, but I love when we see that scene later on. Everybody morphs dolphin, and Axe it, it reveals his animal, and it's a shark, of course. It had to be a shark. <laughs> so everybody's swimming away from the dome ship, and they learn, uh, interestingly enough, Taxons can swim. Yeah, so the dome is blowing up. Axe's little piece of home is gone forever, and I assume even disintegrated by the Urk, so there's no trace of Andalite technology anywhere on the planet. And Taxons are now chasing behind them, who can swim pretty well. However, uh, the group is pretty easily able to fight them, and as it turns out, you know, there's not a whole lot to their body masses, and they uh, rip apart pretty easily with a with a dolphin beak lodged in them. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not a hard fight, and even Rachel's a little shaky just because she wasn't probably expecting to fight in dolphin morph, but they're feeling a little confident. They're good. They beat the Texans. What else could go wrong? Um. Well, before what goes wrong, let's reveal what goes right. Uh, <laughs> the this is when we get Axe telling everybody that. Um, well, first he asks. He he asks if it's all right for him to keep track of the time, and you know everyone's obviously like, yeah, totally do it. And uh, he reveals that he's kind of just Andalites have that ability to naturally keep track of time. Taking away the brand new job that made Tobias relevant. Yeah, relevant for one scene, really. And, um, well, now this is Axe's designated job. He's already st he's stealing jobs already. <laughs> Those aliens stealing our jobs. They took our jobs! While escaping, uh, everybody, everybody can feel this huge creature, the presence of this big creature in the water with them. And um, right off the bat, they, they know that it's not anything from Earth. And I think somebody points out, uh, uh, did somebody just see the blade ship go by? <laughs> and that's when you know you're in for some trouble. Yeah, of course. Of course, Visitor 3 shows up. He's, you know, which makes sense. I mean, we learn throughout, while this invasion is big for this town, you know, most of the central leadership of the Yurk Empire, at least in, in involved in the uh, Earth invasion, are in whatever town this is. So I guess it kind of makes sense that Visitor 3 would show up at every mission they, you know, try to pull off. Well, yeah, that and, you know, Visitor 3 is, he's the big bad of the series. I mean, uh, it's, it's going to be kind of interesting when we get a book where we don't have him to deal with. Um, yeah, no, it's, 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 it's great. He's there. He's in a new morph. And uh, this one's actually pretty terrifying. I mean, they don't see it right away. They're swimming and swimming and swimming, trying to get away from it. But it is continuous. It's like the wolves in the last book. Does not tire. Doesn't need to rest. Dolphins, not so much. It manages to, I think they say that it propels itself through the water, basically by, by absorbing some of the water and shooting it out kind of like a jet. And it can do this, you know, continuously. So it's, it's definitely not going to tire out. Uh, real quick, X X names the creature as a uh, Mardroot. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Mardroot. Probably. 
It's a made up word. I think you'll be okay. It's well, you know, <laughs> it's it's a Margaret, and it's actually from one of his uh, his his own planet's moons, which kind of ticks him off, peeves him out a little bit. I mean, it's kind of it's like it's like Visor Three if you were to you know finally use that tiger morph that he's been admiring some for some time. Tiger slash cat morph. Um, <laughs> but so so do you think he required? Do you think he acquired that? Uh, Pre-Yurk or post-Yurk? Probably pre. I would say that was probably the host bodies morph just because I don't know how likely it is that Visor 3 could have popped on over to the uh, one of the Andalite's moons without them, you know, blasting them out of the sky. Yeah, especially during wartime. Yeah, Uh, yeah. So we do get a great we do get a great line from Axe and Cassie notes this as well that when they're trying to figure out more about this creature. Axe is like, oh, well, they only mentioned it once in school and I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> yeah. Also a recurring joke throughout the series. Yeah. Now we have the team trying to outrun Visor 3 in his, his Margaret morph. And, um, you know, as they, they point out, it, it never tires. And they are. And the whole time, Visor 3 is just goading him on. He's like, oh, I'm going to get you, Andalite, so I'm right behind you. Here I come. Oh, you're going to be tasty. But, you know, they, they have to fight the urge once again to, to talk back to him. And <laughs> Yeah. And pardon my French, but when Visor 3 is talking to them, Axe loses his shit. Go on. <laughs> he is scared senseless. Like, he is... When they tell Axe, like, look, we've dealt with him before. He's really scary, but we can get away from this. Axe is like, no, he's going to kill us. He's going to kill us all. He killed my brother. He's going to kill everyone. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, at this point, you got to remember, Axe is probably... I don't know about starving, because I, I'm sure he had enough grass to eat on the dome ship, but... He's he's not doing well health wise, and that's probably affected his his mind a bit. But yeah, first encounter with Visor Three, totally normal to be scared shitless. Yeah, and he's he's never even been in a battle before. This is the kid who was left behind in the park, basically, yeah. to let the big boys go and fight the war. I think it's fair to say that he's not ready for this kind of action. Not even a little bit. So as the Mardrut gets closer and closer and it's hundreds of little fins all over it as uh, aid its womp, 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 uh, you know, swimming style, <laughs> they're starting to lose confidence in their ability to get away from it this time. I mean, I don't I don't know if they think uh, Visitor 3 is finally capable of getting to them, but no, it, it takes a while for them to realize it. But yeah, they're they're not they're not getting away. And uh, they're pretty much their only decision at this point is to turn around and fight. Which they do. I mean, it's Rachel's not even all that gung ho about it. I mean, they're just going to turn and fight in fairly weak morphs. These are not battle morphs. Axe has a little bit of fighting capability, but not against this huge bag creature. No, it's it's heavily, heavily insinuated that they are basically turning around to commit suicide at this point. I mean, nobody thinks they have a chance of actually you know, hurting him or doing anything. They, they all just kind of assume they're going to die, but they'd rather die fighting than fleeing. And like the classic plays of old, the god in the machine arrives. Yeah, um, my other problem with this book, everyone's saved by whales. That's it. That's the end. Everyone, that's whales. They show up. They save them. That's it. Pack it up. Take it home, boys. That's all you need to know. 
whales, not even the same kind of whales. As you pointed out, they're like a sperm whale and a humpback whale. and Two sperm whales and three humpback whales. Yeah. Working together, making the oceans a peaceful place. They're, yeah, ocean police. Uh, they show up and just, I guess, start slamming into the, the visor. And, you know, what kind of weapons does this, this, what kind of natural defenses does this Marjord have? I mean, what was he going to do? Just eat them? Because he, he doesn't defend himself in any way from these it whales. He literally describes him as like a bag. So he's like some kind of like jellyfish creature uh, with a ton of little fins. I'm not sure how that was going to hurt them when they fought him. He was just big. He was just really, really big. I, my assumption is that maybe maybe he wouldn't even kill him. Maybe he would have just like tangled him up in his body and, and waited for the, the swimming taxons to come, you know, pull him all out or something. No, maybe maybe Visitor 3 actually knows quite a bit about animal uh, physiology at this point because he's so scared of these guys uh, that he, he was going to try to suffocate them. Uh, could be. Who knows? Either way, we never get to find out because stupid whales show up and save the day. <laughs> to be fair, this is a continuation of the plot that's already been established. The plot that I already hate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand that. <clears throat> but this is at least you know, continuing a story that's already been established that these whales are smart, they can communicate, and after being saved, they're now returning the favor. Yeah, yeah, totally got that. 100% on board with with what they're going for here. Just saying, um, it, it, it didn't do it for me. It was a bit of a letdown. Just the fact that it doesn't make much sense and that it, you know, it, it's... The Animorphs books have a tendency sometimes to uh, uh, put the characters in these situations where they they really are screwed and they can't do anything, and then some little insignificant thing happens that that manages to save everybody. In fact, the next book is going to have a moment kind of like that. But for right now, this is what this is what happens. Dolphin or the the whales show up, save them. Everyone gets away scot free, make it back to the beach. Happy ending. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, after this, all we have left is Axe now having to be hidden and be taken somewhere, uh, preferably to Cassie's farm, which which she points out and might yeah. be a good place for him to hang out. But we still got to get him across town. How are we going to get Axe uh, from point A to point B? Well, the easiest thing to do would be to acquire a human. Uh, what human should he acquire, Coleman? How about all of them? What? In... In this mind-boggling scene, and it is truly mind-boggling, because it is never referenced throughout the whole rest of the series, Axe goes one by one to each Animorph, acquires all of them, mixes the DNA, and then chooses his gender. (laughs) That trick would probably be insanely useful Everywhere throughout the series. I can't imagine a book that that the problem wouldn't be solved by being able to create new humans to morph into. I would go as far as to say, if they only used this one trick, taking a bunch of humans and creating new humans, they could possibly fight a better war against the Yurks than by just fighting them with animals. It's entirely possible. Um, and, and, you know, he, he never says how the technology works because conveniently he's 
barred from explaining that to to non-Andalites, I guess. Yeah, I mean that's that's his go-to line. But yeah, it is it is kind of mind-blowing. Maybe there's a ghost-written book that goes into mixing all this crap up and and this DNA and and creating new morphs out of it. But I haven't heard of it, and and I've trolled the forums. I don't know what's going on. My assumption is that by acquiring more than one of any species gives you uh kind of like a mixture of that dna and i mean the the anamorphs aren't going to be i mean it's not like jake is going to go acquire another tiger to mix it with his current tiger dna to make a new tiger i mean that's kind of it's it's unnecessary so i i guess i can see why they never thought about doing that at least for animals because i mean why would you need to create brand new animals they're animals it doesn't matter um but um, one last thing I wanted to mention, though, was that when everyone's demorphing here back at the river, um, this is when when Axe meets Tobias, and there's a little bit of a, a little bit of an odd moment where you know Axe realizes he learns that Tobias is somebody who was trapped, and uh, is is there pity? Is there? It's just it's just a general kind of sadness. And Axe realizes that. These guys have been actually fighting. They're not just playing around. They're actually trying to stop the Yerks, and they've made sacrifices. Oh, that's a good point. So the team decides Axe and his new uh, <clears throat> human morph can come and stay on her farmland because she's apparently just got all this great convenient land sitting around. There's one thing I wanted to mention. Um, when Axe morphs them, I thought there was something that made this book a little better in that uh, Axe asks Cassie for permission to morph into her. You know, referencing back to Cassie wishing she could ask uh, a sentient dolphin for permission to morph into it. Oh, and she actually she she actually did. Technically. Yeah, 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 but she couldn't actually. She just thought it. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, it, it totally harkens back to that, you know? Yeah, I, think it, I thought it closed the loop of the storyline and, and the theme uh, really well that, that Axe immediately without you know prompting that conversation from earlier uh he asked her for permission before he morphed her so that was that was really nice i like that, that yeah now that i think about it that was a very nice little closing to this whole cassie dragging her feet for you know morphing sentient species or whatever yeah so do you want to you want to lead us into the last scene there buddy now we get into the last scene of the book last chapter and in fact uh looking at it k a applegate dedicated one two and like a, basically two pages two pages to this last chapter of cassie deciding to fly to the gardens one one eve and uh swim with the dolphins in dolphin morph um i thought that was dumb yeah i, just <laughs> I was think just gonna say i think she's she's been having all these worries these thoughts about turning into a dolphin and uh, even though she didn't catch uh, the whole symbolism of Axe asking her uh, whether he could morph her or not, she's just burdened by this, I don't know, these ethical questions. And she thinks maybe if she can turn into a dolphin with these dolphins that she morphed, maybe she can find some common ground or peace or find find a way to tell them what she did. And once she's in dolphin morph... She can't help but just play with them. And I think that's the point it was trying to make is that um, that these dolphins, they don't care. 
they're smart, they're much smarter than anything else, but Kay Applegate's really saying that, you know, it doesn't matter because what they're doing is right and what's doing is important, and if the Dolphins could think that way, they'd probably agree with them. Maybe. I think this is uh, Cassie's little instance of getting to be stupid. <laughs> no, no, it is. It's it's her it's her moment of uh, weakness to use her powers for self gain. Because we've seen mostly most of the characters, uh, at least Rachel and Tobias, acting kind of selfishly with their morphs, and you know, uh, Tobias freed the the hawk from the car commercial dealer guy. Uh, Rachel's you know she's morphing left and right, trying to scare off random people on the streets. Um, Marco, I'm I'm sure he's 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 Marco. He's got to be morphin gorilla in his bedroom or something no i i I disagree with you completely just because even though mocker goes along with the whole second book attacking the rednecks thing i think marco and jake are the only smart ones who kind of like they take this pretty dead serious they morph only when they have to morph that could be but the ending of this book gives us cassie's little instance of of selfishness of oh i'm gonna screw the team i'm gonna fly to the gardens at night morph dolphin and just swim around why because no other reason that it'll make me feel better although to be fair she is the only animorph up to this point to realize she can just fly into the garden she doesn't have to pay besides tobias in the second book but he was just moping about it (laughs) that's true well maybe in the next book they will uh take that message to heart i hope i'm just waiting for that just start breaking into places that's what being an animorph is really about yeah Really? When you get down to it. Pretty much. That wraps up uh, book four, The Message. Yeah, it's a pretty straightforward book. Uh, Pretty straightforward plot. I would agree. Would you uh, like to begin the reviewing process, sir? I will. I will review this book first. So, in general, I like this book. This is a book I fondly remember. Out of all the Animorphs books, I remember this one pretty well. Whether that's because it's ocean-themed, I'm a big ocean person, I wanted to be a marine biologist when I was younger, um, or whether it's because there's a lot of elements that I can relate to, like going to a SeaWorld-like environment, seeing dolphin shows, um, you know, the whole axe introduction, and everything to do with the last third of this book is is pretty great. I mean, that that's all exciting and really great. I mean, I do agree with what Mitch is going to, I assume, start yelling into his microphone about. Ah! Uh, <laughs> I do agree that the whale thing is a little... I don't think it's dumb. I don't think it's as stupid as he's going to make it out to be. I just don't think it really fits in with the tone or the somewhat realistic nature of this series so far. But I can see how Kay Applegate might have just thought it was more of uh, you know, just an element to the world that we don't know anything about. So it's possible. Who knows? Maybe whales do speak to each other. They do have a language. They do sing to each other in different ways to communicate different things. So this is really just taking this a step further. I'm a big uh, supporter of the cetacean community and stopping, you know, the hunting of whales and dolphins and everything. Go see Blackfish. And uh, I, I can get on board with some of those ideas, even if they are a little unrealistic. But so with my review, I will give it a I will give. Animorphs number four, the message, a final rating of three out of five Enos or Marfs. That's my rating. Explain. No. You, dear listeners, will have to dig into your 
Animorphs number fours and see what I'm referencing. I'm not going to do that. Nobody's going to do that. Someone might. I read the book and I'm not even going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. That's my rating. All right. I'm going to give mine and it's going to be short and simple. I'm going to tell you what I liked and I'm going to tell you what I didn't like. And what I liked, uh, obviously, the introduction of Axe. Best thing to come out of the book, hands down. Introduction of Axe. Uh, besides that, you know, it's it's just good that we get a lot more of these little moments between all the characters. It's all this great character development. It's it's still, you know, good and crucial in plot building at this point. Um, we, we Like you mentioned, uh, when they're at the gardens, we, we get little snippets of how their lives change now from, from just being an Animorph. Um, what I didn't like about the book, however, is, like I pointed out before, uh, the animals being able to communicate with each other just didn't make a whole lot of sense to the continuity of the book, uh, to the, the, the continuity of the series, I should say. Um, the The fact that they're totally saved out of the blue by whales in the end um kind of a kind of an anticlimactic finish although i i can see how some people would like that um and uh oh another big problem uh even though i i like cassie i guess the the idea of cassie's character and i know that her whole story arc revolves around morality and ethics and all that but um, just the fact that she's dragging her feet throughout nearly half the book on uh, on whether or not they should morph Dolphin, that kind of irked me a little bit because I think that um, if if you're going to go the route of saying maybe some animals shouldn't be morphed because of uh, either their intelligence or some other defining factor, um, I don't think she should have been so quick to jump on uh, a gorilla morph or or plenty of other morphs they do in the future of animals that could be considered intelligent um so a little bit annoying but obviously she gets over it and we're better off for it because the book turns around after that um dolphin morph was cool not quite as cool as like douglas adams so long thanks for all the fish cool but um still still cool <laughs> and um that's that's about all i really want to say about the book i mean i i thoroughly enjoyed it and i'm gonna give it uh like you <gasps> i'm gonna match you my friend i'm giving this three out of five marge roots <laughs> um well yeah, that's that's actually really surprising i've been waiting all week for you to give this probably not a one out of five but your first two out of five but I guess you're just too kind-hearted to go that low in the score range. No, no, no. I really didn't like this book when we were talking about it. I went back and forth because overall, I, I really like the book. Aside from the, the three glaring problems of being able to communicate with it, the, the whale gives way too much exposition, way too much information. The, the whale's showing up again at the end to save them. And of course, Cassie dragging her feet. Only things I didn't like about the book. Um, I think the introduction of Axe is necessary to the series. So, uh, like it or not, uh, this is book is essential reading for, for anybody first, for any first time readers, I guess I would say, just because of the introduction of Axe. Um, so that's that. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, listeners, uh, Mitchell's rating system officially starts at three. That's what we found out in this episode. No, nonsense. This is, <laughs> like I just told you, man, I still enjoyed the book. The ones and twos are going to be reserved for the the one is going to be books that I just flat out didn't like anything about. And the two will probably be a, a book that, you know, they tried to do something neat with it and it's flawed, but whatever. Yeah. Well, no, no I'll, I'll see. I'll see what you give the Helmicron book and then we'll then we'll talk. That'll be super interesting because I never got to read the Helmicron books. Any I of them. I we both love them. I've read one Helmicron book and I don't remember it that well. But watch, we'll be the biggest Helmicron fans. We'll print t-shirts. It'll be awesome. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I figured it out around um, around book 23 or, or so. It's it's after the David trilogy and after the uh, Tobias book. Or actually, no, the, the, the first Helmicron book is the the point when I stopped reading the series. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that'll be interesting. Wow, that'll be like super, super, I don't know. <laughs> I can't, I just, I can't wait to get to the other books. It's like, oh man, it's going to be Christmas. It's like all this new Animorphs content that I've never, I've never seen. It's going to be amazing. Also, uh, I I might as well point out, I think um, the next book, uh, or or I should say the first book that I skipped, uh, I think is the, the next Cassie book. Hmm. Yeah, me too. I didn't read that one either. (laughs) <laughs> yeah so hey well let's let's wrap this up we we got good stuff here um i will say this week uh no emails what's going on guys we need we need feedback we need wait well i thought we told got if we're, or no we read that in the last show yeah we need to be told if we're doing a great job if we're doing a good job if we're doing an even better job than we're thinking no i don't want to hear that i just i just want to hear people sounding off about their reprints yeah, no, we want to we want to hear from you guys. We want to hear what you think. What what did the reprints do differently for those who have read them? Tell us everything. Communicate with us. Furthermore, I would like to know what everyone else thinks about the uh, the whole whale conundrum. I'll call it in this book. Um, if you think that it it worked and you liked it, let me know why you're wrong. And if, if you're like <laughs> me and you didn't like it. Uh, uh, give me a fist bump. So yeah, we just want to hear from you guys. We've loved the little bit of audience interaction we've had so far, and we just want to continue that trend. So. Totally. Totally. All right. Well, thanks for listening to another episode of Thought Speak. Join us next week when we review book number five, The Predator, which I'm really looking forward to because I've only read once. I know that for a fact. It's one of the few that I've read once, never returned to. I read it once as a child and uh, once just again more recently. And oh boy, am I excited to talk about that one. Yeah. If you enjoyed this episode, you can keep up with the show by liking our Facebook or following us on Twitter at MorphCast. You can send us your questions or comments by emailing ThoughtSpeakCast at gmail.com. And please do. Yeah. Rate the show on iTunes and Stitcher so more people can find out about it and join the conversation. Oh, please do that too. Oh, absolutely. We've gotten some good great, uh, good ratings so far. So, you know, go ahead. Right away. We're, we're prepared for it. But so, yeah, that's our episode. We will see you next week. Have a good one, everybody. This is Coleman. And this is Mitchell, the cool one. Bye, everyone. <laughs>